Hello there! Welcome to a very special episode of Nerdy Show Prime. Well, Nerdy Show, this is a Nerdy Show Prime episode. That means that we're focusing on one particular topic and doing it right. Doing it to the max. <laughs> Triforce Mike! I'm Cap. I'm Jonna. I'm Tony. Uh, I'm Brian. And uh, Hex can't be with us right now because of Nerdapalooza, a little festival you may have heard of, but he may chime in later for one of the interviews. We'll see. We'll see what celebrity can lure him into the studio. What makes this Prime episode very, very special is that it's our first Prime episode that has been chosen by you, our fans, on behalf of supporting Nerdy Show. We love you all! We really can't thank you enough. This is the only way for us to survive. We are, after all, an explicit podcast, a podcast that says and does whatever we feel like. And we do it right. Oh, we do it so, so right. As you know, that sort of thing that you just can't quite get paid for in a conventional banner. You guys donated to us, and it was a glorious donation drive where we learned that one fan would easily Roosevelt another fan. For those of you tuning in for the first time, that is not sexual, actually. That just means... Well, at least not as it, much as it sounds. It could be, but... Inevitably, there is some sexual action. I mean, they've listened to the podcast. They know that sexuality comes in all shapes, sizes, forms, and mics. <laughs> <laughs> this is an episode on voice acting, commissioned to us by Byron McIsaac and Ross Butler. Thanks very much to both of you. You kick ass. This episode, as I said is about voice acting. Why is that a nerdy subject? Well, it's something that's pretty easy to nerd out about, and lots of people have been doing it for a long time, ever since the great nerd revolution of the 1990s. Oh my goodness. Those were dark and bright and colorful days all at the same time. Not many people know this, but I began my career as a voice actor. Is that true? It is absolutely true. Here, it's, I, I did the voice of Skeletor. Really? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh-huh. <clears throat> hey, He-Man. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I was just ad living, you know, the scripts obviously that we worked with were a lot stronger than that. Yeah. Wow, that was. It's like you watching still got a it, show. man. 
I, I can picture that scene in my head so vividly. <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I know you did it originally in the show, but man, it would really probably behoove us to do some fan dubs with you know with you reprising your role as Skeletor. Well, it's yes. it's like in that uh, those, uh, that start that really popular I forget what it's called the Star Trek fan film where they actually like it's going to be like Star Trek Phase 2 when they hire the people like the actual actors we're going to hire Brian yeah, to, reprise to reprise his role as Skeletor. As Skeletor. Yeah, yeah, we actually talked about Star Trek Phase 2 a little bit further on in this episode because one of the guys we're interviewing for voice acting is Vic Mignola who actually directed and starred in a couple of those episodes and is, in fact, starting his own Star Trek fan film series. What a big nerd. I know, right? It came out of nowhere. It turns out that people don't just nerd out on voice actors, but voice actors are themselves nerds. How funny I turn to look at Brian. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a Venn diagram I would have pictured. Is that a Venn diagram? No, no. Ah. Skeletor was not in an episode of Star Trek. I looked it up. (laughs) You sure? <laughs> yeah. All the way back. Yeah, all the way back. Huh. Yeah. Then who the hell played Bones McCoy? Duh! Skeleton jokes. Well, uh, Tony, both you and Jonna, you guys are pretty big voice acting nerds. You've said so yourself. A smidge, yes. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're fairly into the whole voice acting scene. What do you want to know? Well, okay, well, what does that mean for starters, the voice acting scene? We are those who follow voice actors from role to role, cartoon show to cartoon show. I mean, voice actors aren't like big celebrities. You just have to pick them up by their voice. So you say, oh my gosh, I recognize them. That's whoever. Like, you pretty much have to research them. You can't just see their face and go, oh yeah, I like that actor. You have to know the voice. So it's very different. I don't even really get into actors. I like, <laughs> I watch something and I'm like, Oh, I love you, Buffy, but I don't give a shit about Sarah Michelle Gellar. I mean, I know her name because it's shoved in my face in the opening credits every year. She played April O'Neil at one time as a voice actress. Right. In Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But we might have someone we're talking to related to that as well. What? Oh my goodness. Well, I guess this is a good opportunity for me to just spit this out. Uh, We got Vic Mignona coming up on the the show. We have Yuri Lowenthal. We have Steve Bloom. And Rob Paulson, who is... Lord God King Bufu of voice actors. I love him. He's fantastic and ooh, as are the rest. I, I can't wait to talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. Really. And and what we're actually gonna do with this episode is it's huge. So we're splitting it into two parts. Gonna we're gonna slice up our conversation, we're gonna slice up the inter- dicks. We're gonna slice up our dicks. Oh no, no, then, no, no, no. No, that's, that's the no. next episode. It's, uh, that's, that's the next one that's you're spoiling the surprise. <laughs> Top them into little Johnny coins. And then we For sell obvious them. reasons. We sell them. <laughs> Like pork stain. Or a summer sausage. That's a good comic. It's about oh, man. chopping your dick. Uh, anyway, so oh. this, is a, this is a two-parter. Um, expect the second part shortly. This is going to be a mega-sized episode. Prime episodes are already pretty big. This is going to be a huge one. Just beefy. Yeah. <laughs> well, who was is, who is the first voice actor any of you guys became aware of, you know, as an individual? Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, kind of the grandfather of them all, Mr. Mel Blank. Yeah, oh, the guy who did so much in the lo- he practically was the Looney Tunes. He was Bugs Bunny, he was Sylvester, he was Yosemite Sam. I mean, he's everywhere. He is He was he was the Frank Welker before there was a Frank Welker because he also did all the animal voices and noises on Flintstones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's and true. Else. Wait, you mean he was the It's a living. Like all the different things that said it was a living? Uh, maybe he definitely was Dino though. In fact, there was a lawsuit over him being Dino. Because back when they did the, in the early 90s, live-action Flintstones movie... Oh, I remember They that. actually took Mel Blanc's sound cues from Dino and used them in the film, didn't credit him at all, yeah. so his estate freaked out. 
He was credited in the VHS release. <laughs> yeah, I think he was my the one that really made me aware of it too. Because when I was a kid, I I was bewildered when my I guess my parents told me that all the Looney Tune characters were the same person. I was like, what? <laughs> so I, I was the just Lord. so I was so <laughs> blown <laughs> away. God, we're Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> So that impressed me so much that I've just always had an interest in voice acting since then. There's also just the fun of watching these different cartoon shows as a little kid and recognizing voices. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, Raphael sounds a lot like The Mask. And a lot like Mighty Max. And a lot like Yanko, what, what's going on? This, this can't be real. Man, you're a bunch of nerds. I seriously didn't notice like any of that until <laughs> I was like 20. I was like, Ninja Turtles, yay! And I Do you still watch Ninja Turtles when you're 20? <laughs> Um, I'm watching these turtles every goddamn day, Brian. <laughs> Don't act like you what do you Brian. do when you wake up? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I wake up. I drink. I drink a little bit of Jack. I just take a long drag on a cigarette, and I <laughs> and I pop my old Ninja Turtles VHS in the player, and I watch the you know eight or Ninja Turtles 1988. Yeah. Just go through it uh, all over again. So, like you, like you said, Mel Blanc is actually, I mean, like, in, if you look, open any book about voice acting, he's the first guy they're going to mention. So that's actually very astute of you guys. I, I, for me, it wasn't it wasn't Mel Blanc. Mm. Uh, really, what clued me into uh, the actual talent applied to voice acting is a little bit of a cheat, because he wasn't exclusively a voice actor, and that was Mark Hamill. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I met Mark Hamill when I was pretty young. I don't remember how old exactly, but he was... He was I saw a picture. Yeah, I saw him in movies. I, I he was touring, um, uh, doing a comic book tour because he wrote a book back in the '90s called Black Pearl, No Relation to Pirates. And then I, I found out, you know, like they got all those like you know pictures and everything. I'm like, oh, he did the Joker in my favorite show, Batman the Animated Series. That's fucking weird. Didn't say that. It wasn't. It was all. It was exactly the same words, but it was all really high pitched. Um, <laughs> and why don't you let a little voice acting do? <laughs> Uh, Hi, I'm a cop! <laughs> I, I'm an cop! I can't believe that the Joker is New Skywalker! I'm making a face filled with terror! <laughs> and that's what Cap sounded like before puberty. I saw I, yeah. I saw the video. Yeah, the testicles not only not descended, but also... <laughs> sort of have, haven't even bloomed yet. Not even... You were some sort of squirrel monster. <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting for a nut. <laughs> waiting for those nuts Fair. to drop. Yeah. He also did Woody Woodpecker, Heathcliff, and he and he's actually holds the record for the longest time a character's been portrayed by its original voice, which is mm. Daffy Duck, 52 years. He also played Porky Pig for just as long, but Porky Pig was actually voiced by someone else a couple years previous to that. Mm-hmm. Mike's looking at me with this like, oh, fuck. <laughs> kind of look. I'm just like, what the fuck? This, I thought the pig was the pig. And he was. <laughs> he was. No, actually was a pig. But no, you're telling me he was the duck too. Well, and, and what's great is he was an the, animorph. The first time he did this, it was the episode where they were both like, you know, pitted against each other. I think, right? Am I right about this? I'm gonna say yes. Yeah, I think I believe so. Yeah, it so was that Porky, Porky goes and Daffy Yeah, where they go hunting. Episode. All I remember is that on Nickelodeon, the last thing they would air before it became Snick, not Snick, Nick at Night, before it became Nick at Night, would be Looney Tunes, and I wasn't allowed. I was my bedtime was after Looney Tunes, but before Snick existed, on Friday nights, <laughs> Nick at Night would play an hour of Looney Tunes, also at the beginning of Nick at Night. And if I just made enough noise to cover up the, uh, the theme song, 
playing, uh -huh. I would get to watch another hour of Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> Thereby stay up another hour. You slide yeah. out. Yeah. It's with your tricks. But <laughs> in retrospect, my mom was like, why the hell is Michael making all this noise? So my mom calls me Michael. Why was she making all this, why is he making all this noise? at like 8 o'clock at night, like she knew what time it was, she's not stupid. She, she was, said, Triforce Mike, why are you making all that noise in there? Uh, but, <laughs> no, and, and she what she sounded like. <laughs> and and there was, um, what was the little black and white guy's name? They would show those. Mickey Mouse? No. like <laughs> Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. No, like Bosco. Bosco. Oh. They would show Bosco on the Nick at Night ones. And I, I felt like a pimp watching those. <laughs> because... It was black and white. That's what granddads watch. <laughs> and I was a smooth granddad. So you weren't like, this is old, I hate it. No, I thought I thought I was like more mature and older because A, I was up later. <laughs> and B, I was watching a black and white cartoon where shit was wacky and everything was dancing. Fence what posts. I love about this, though, is that Mike's like worldview and reasoning has not changed one bit. Since the... No, if I... I, still, I see him in his little robe as sifter of chocolate milk. Okay. Yeah. So the king of cartoons, like, he, you actually did recognize him as royalty, didn't you? Yes! <laughs> I just thought this were funny animals talking. I don't know those people behind them. Actually, I think uh, watching Looney Tunes is my earliest memory, now that I think about it. Wow. <laughs> Mine is smashing a cake with my hands. <laughs> that was like last week. <laughs> it was this morning, after my cigarette. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Then he pushed his face into the cake, turned it sideways, and kept watching Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way to watch Ninja Turtles. How do you do it, Cap? When he comes in to clean up my mess. Well, that <laughs> oh, makes sense. No, okay. uh, upside down after I'm doing all those like lifts where I put my legs in those uh, attachments upside down, and then you know after I do those like you know upside down bat crunches like Michael Keaton. <laughs> I was gonna make a Batman reference. <laughs> <laughs> the Beetlejuice workout where you just go through all of Michael Keaton's roles. That's a terrible workout. You get really fat. You get really thin. Ugh. That's a mess. You start doing you, voices you, for Pixar, which we bring it back work. around. We bring it back around to voice acting because oh, yeah, okay. he's doing stuff for Pixar nowadays. Is he? What's yeah. he doing Pixar? Well, he was Ken in uh, Toy Story. Oh, as in like the Barbie Ken? As in the Barbie huh. Ken. He was also. I did not know that. In Cars. He's a celebrity. Get him out of our animations. <laughs> it wasn't Jerry Seinfeld some bees. <laughs> Yeah, yeah yes. I really realized it'd be too expensive to make just a live-action with costumes B-movie. Bees. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld actually wrote B-movie. Oh. Lost a little bit of respect for him. Yep. Mm. <laughs> man, you talking about starring roles. Julia White is Sonic the Hedgehog, man. That's, yeah. that's the true star. He was tearing it up as Urkel. At he, the no, exact same he, time, he was tearing it up as Sonic he the He was two Sonics. He was the one that liked the chili dogs and the one with the robot girl. And he was and the he one was with the, the, one the guitar. guitar. And two cousins <laughs> that were never no, spoken of. Two siblings. Of were they siblings. And he voiced them as well, including the female. And all those other Urkels. That's like five Sonics. <laughs> that's five Sonics. And a baker's dozen of Urkels. That's, that's Urkel, <laughs> Stefan, and who, what was the other four? Robot Urkel. And Robot Urkel. <laughs> This is, this is too many. And now he's coming back as another Sonic because someone's making a Sonic fan film and they actually hired him on for the role, which is are they, uh, are they filthy rich? Um, well, what else is he doing? Let's be fair. I don't know if you remember there was being handsome. There was a Mega Man enough. fan film a little while back. I don't know if any of you know about that. Uh, the the live action one. Yeah, yeah. It's that person. He's making a live action Sonic fan film and he hired. Oh, uh, how does <laughs> live action Sonic I, work? I think he's gonna be CG. But, uh, yeah, so one of them Roger Rabbit dealies. Because I went to two really strange places. <laughs> first first was, like, Jaleel White 
with really bad like Blue beast paint. beast makeup on, and I was just like, no, no. The second place I went was a a dyed real hedgehog <laughs> just sped up. <laughs> you know, the footage sped up with Jaleel White dubbing it's over It's based it. on the original Sonic the Hedgehog Bible, you know, where he lives outside of a human bowling alley. Oh, yeah. 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 We're going to get in the camera, like we're making this happen. <laughs> I want this sped up live action, just cute little hedgehog painted. Well, no, we just got to hijack that, that shoot. I, you know, I, I'm not going to exert the effort. We need to just, like, put a gun to the head of the guy who's making this movie and say, just do it. Yeah, but we got to find him. It's easier to find a hedgehog. Where? I Pet have stores. one. <laughs> All right, never mind. You win. You win. We're done. Gonna be way past cool. Celebrity voice actors have been a huge thing. It's actually a point of conflict for some notable voice actors, namely Billy West, best known for Fry and Futurama, who's just totally against it. He's very outspoken about it. There's a lot of clips of him talking about that at panels and interviews and so on. What's interesting about that is that that's something that we've seen happen, you know, within our lifetime. Celebrity voice actors, mm -hmm. that wasn't really an acceptable thing. And really the genesis of it was Robin Williams and Aladdin. Mm -hmm. Which carries an entertaining story with it in and of itself because he didn't want to be credited for it. What? Yeah, he did not want he wanted to do that pro bono and when Disney listed him in the credits, that's why he didn't come back for the second one and it took the firing of the head of the Disney Studios for him to come back and do the third wow, one. Wow, I didn't know that. But Weird. I had all sorts of problems with that second one. Like, why did he have his bracelets back on? Because the second one was just a pilot for the television series. It was also he was getting back with fashion, you know, the whole bare arm thing. It 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 made it too hard for him to know which way his hands were supposed to be facing. Yeah, it threw off his character design big time. And <laughs> <laughs> know everything about that second movie was broken. Though Dan Castellaneta is pretty cool. He is. He's another Very really cool big guy. notable voice actor. Voice of Homer Simpson. I'm a big fan of him too. Oh, I'm, I'm Homer. <laughs> Man, oh my God, man of a you thousand are killing it, man. Yeah. Well, Blank got nothing on you. <laughs> Call him Mel Clevenger. I'm Daffy Duck. Blake. <laughs> no, wait. Why do? What's? Why is Homer Simpson a big deal? I mean, Homer Simpson's a big deal. But what because, else did he do? Well, the he, genie in the Aladdin series, actually. After oh. Robin, he's also the robot devil. He's also and the majority uh, of the voices on the Simpsons. He's also Arnold's grandpa. And hey, Arnold. <laughs> hey, Arnold. <laughs> It, interesting, uh, interesting thing about Disney movies and so on. After they started getting the celebrity voice actors come in, every now and then they'll have a regular voice actor, like a, a career voice actor, come in and do work on behalf of the big name actors. For example, Jim Cummings came in for Lion King, did the singing voice for Scar and Be Prepared. Jeremy Irons like damn that song is awesome. Yeah, he, he, yeah. He, not amazing. Jeremy Irons. What, Who's no, Jeremy Irons? The actor. <laughs> Jeremy Irons did the voice of Scar, and he actually sang two-thirds of that song. It was only the last third that was Jim Cummings. Yeah. He also did the singing voice of Rasputin hmm. in Anastasia. Why do you only do two-thirds of the song? Because it, Jeremy threw Irons threw his voice out, and apparently uh. they had recording deadlines to meet. Don't know what that's about. Threw his voice out banging your mom. Oh! Yeah. You know what, though? It's Jeremy Irons. That is Sir <laughs> Jeremy Irons banging my mom. I'm okay with that. That's that's fucking big deal right there. Uh, Jim Jim Cummings is, I guess, it, aside from, I, I want to kind of make a chart, but I want to say that Jim Cummings and Rob Paulson are in, in many ways at equal standing in a lot of ways. Don't They're in everything. Yeah. Both of them. Like really in, invasive, like a like a weed of fun and amusement. Wait for it. They were both Pete and PJ in Goof Troop. Well, there you go. <laughs> the dynamic duo of voice actors, and and as you as you said, J Winnie the Pooh, like Jim Cummings is is Winnie the Pooh, and, and also uh, Tigger. 
Yep. And he, he was recently taken on the role of Tigger. And and he he's known as a really great mimic, and he actually like he's actually taken legacy voices, recreated the original voice actor's work, and extended the longevity of those characters. So like I mean, there's a new Pooh movie coming out, so that must be huge for him. He's getting the big bucks. I mean, I assume mm-hmm. anyway. I hope so. <laughs> he actually also replaced King Louis from Jungle Book when they reprised that character in Tailspin. And because he mimicked that original voice actor's voice, there was actually a controversy with the original actor's widow. What? Hmm. Yeah. How? I she was like, you have my husband's ghost, let it go. <laughs> let it go. Let him into the afterlife. <laughs> Release him from the Odic force. <laughs> no. <laughs> Damn, man. Oh, you're so good. You're so talented. Now, I want... Okay, explain this to me. Yeah. In Batman the Animated Series... Sometimes Bruce Wayne would have a different voice come out of his mouth. All Kevin Conroy. Like, he would just be like, he'd put on this voice and it, it would sound like a completely different character. Not not when he switched between Bruce and Batman. He would just, like, call someone and have a completely different voice. Kevin Conroy on a bad day. How did Pretty they much. How do that? The same oh, way they're crazy. West, That's what I think. The same there way that Billy West can voice three characters in a single scene in Futurama. They <laughs> record those separately, though. He's not talking to himself, right? Not well, maybe. <laughs> Get him on the phone. <laughs> we tried. Get all of him on the phone. I would love that. Well, real quick, before we cut to a song and our first interview, we are you sure they just didn't like use someone else's voice to come out of Batman's <laughs> voice? I don't know, man. How can you know? I, I can't know. I don't know Kevin Conroy. He didn't come on the show. Get him on the phone. <laughs> Let me dial up Kevin Conroy. God. Busting my balls, man. Now we, we talk about the first voice actor you're aware of. Let's talk about some prolific voice actors. Prophylactic voice actors? <laughs> yes, those that protect Pro- us. Prolific. I'm fairly certain I said prolific. <laughs> We've already been talking about a lot of them. Yeah. There's Jim Cummings, Rob Paulson, Billy West, Dan Castellaneta. Tress uh, McNeil. Tress McNeil representing some of the female voice actors. Lauren Tom, who does pretty much every Asian girl. Cat uh, Susie. What, what I meant actually was uh, <laughs> singular, iconic roles. Unforgettable roles. I mean, I'm talking about like a like, voice actor who's inevitably tied to one powerful performance. Kevin Conroy, to be certain, yeah. doing the role of Bruce Wayne, slash Batman, and Batman both of the them. Animated Series. He did both of them, Mike. But who was the other voice? <laughs> <laughs> it was Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill just came in, he mimicked that voice. Who was phone? <laughs> so, I guess one of the most notable voice actors tied to a character would be Peter Cullen is Optimus Prime. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who was so attached to the role that when they died, people rallied to have him back and then rallied to have Cullen come back. When the movies were announced, there were fan rallies that wouldn't go see it unless Cullen was doing the voice of Optimus Prime. Yeah, I and mean, that's powerful. Yes, it is. It's to the point where people don't even remember the fact that he did stuff. He was Eeyore for a little while. What? Optimus Prime was Eeyore. No. Which means mm-hmm. that that donkey no. without a tail transforms into a giant semi. Doesn't jive. <laughs> doesn't jive in my brain. <laughs> Just, that doesn't work. He also played a couple thugs on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We're just bringing this whole fucking thing full circle. From Turtles Wait, to Transformers. Wait, did Eeyore drive the truck? Yes. Um, <laughs> he wasn't happy about it, though. He was like Sam. He was the precursor to Sam Witwicky. Well, he's so depressed because the whole time... He's got all those pills. He's got to pop the pet pills to drive the truck. I saw that episode of The Simpsons. What? What do we say? We power through. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well... Oh, my... Taking us out. The Aperture Science Psychoactivists Laboratory, giving us science is fun. Not entirely certain what the track is about, but I'm assuming that science has something to do with it, as will merriment in conjunction with science. 
Also, Portal, I'm pretty sure it's from the Portal 2 soundtrack. The Portal 2 soundtrack came out absolutely for free, and it's amazing. If you yes, haven't downloaded it, it yet, do so. It doesn't have Want You Gone, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't get it. Because it's free. How can you argue with that price? What the fuck is wrong with you arguing with free? Seriously. Uh, I have issues, man. God damn it, Mike. I just like to argue. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> on a street, in a city, or a village, or a town for what it's worth. And they're all inside a country which is part of a continent that sits upon a planet known as Earth. And the Earth is a ball full of oceans and some mountains which is out there spinning silently in space. And living on that Earth are the plants and the animals and also the entire human race. It's a great big universe and we're all really puny We're just tiny little specks about the size of Mickey Rooney It's big and black and icky and we are small and dinky It's a big universe and we're not And we're part of a vast interplanetary system stretching 700 billion miles long With nine planets and a sun we think the Earth's the only one That has life on it although we could be wrong Across the interstellar voids are a billion asteroids, including meteors and Halley's Comet, too. 
And there's over 50 moons floating out there like balloons in a panoramic trillion-mile view. And still it's all a speck amid a hundred billion stars in a galaxy we call the Milky Way. It's 60,000 trillion miles from one end to the other, and still that's just a fraction of the way. Cause there's a hundred billion galaxies that stretch across the sky filled with constellations, planets, moons, and stars. And still the universe extends to a place that never ends, which is maybe just inside a little jar. It's a great big universe, and we're all really puny. We're just tiny little specks about the size of Mickey Rooney. Though we don't know how we got here, we're important part here. It's a big universe, and it's us. Hey, welcome back. What you just listened to was Yakko's Universe, that uh, stars Rob Paulson, Jess Harnell, and Tress McNeil, and that's of course from the Animaniacs. Yeah, there's a reason we just played that track in the Why? past. Well, I'm going to tell you a story. The gentleman we have on the phone, and his name is Rob Paulson. Bullshit. <laughs> We've got Rob Paulson on. I'd just like to kind of lay this out here, just start the interview okay. by saying I'm pretty sure that, at least in my realm of experience, there isn't a voice actor who's got more credibility with like having been involved in things that I hold dear to me than Rob Paulson. <laughs> wow. Well, hello, Nurse. It, is nurse, isn't it? <laughs> it can be for you. It'll be anybody. It be. <laughs> Listen, that's that is so sweet. Thank you very much. I I'm really truly flattered, and I, I I'll tell you what. I've I've been a pretty lucky fellow. As a matter of fact, I twittered or whatever I did a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, with all the I just watched Pride of the Yankees with Gary Cooper, where he plays Lou Gehrig, you know, and he Lou Gehrig was not only a, a you know historical and legendary baseball player but he's the gentleman who uh, from whom the you know the disease the unfortunate disease i think it's mitrophic lateral sclerosis als is, is called lou gehrig's disease and there's a scene in which he you know a famous scene in which he stands at yankee stadium and says you know a lot of people say i've gotten a, a lousy break but today i feel like the luckiest man on the face of the earth and as i said with all due respect to lou gehrig i, I am the luckiest man on the face of the earth I, I i really truly go to work and get paid due used to get me in trouble in seventh grade and then i have nice people like you that want to talk to me so thank you very very much for your kind remarks and and i'm glad that you know that you got a kick out of it <laughs> one correction though rob we are not nice people <laughs> oh, you're not nice people no, you know i heard that, that. I, you guys are all in the witness protection program which is probably just as well for you that you guys do this you know sort of Without having people see what you look like, so that you would re, so you'd be re-arrested, which we don't want. How would you find out we were in the witness? <laughs> yeah. One name. Oh, that's it. <laughs> you gotta take this guy out. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, Rob, shut up, Tony. <laughs> Rob, it was recently announced that you're actually the voice of Donatello in the upcoming 2012 Ninja Turtles series. How about that? Isn't that something? The more things change, the more they stay the same department. Um, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, or almost the same. It's really, I, I'm so flattered. It's kind of an interesting story how that came about, as you, as you may or may not know, or your listeners may or may not know, but a couple of years ago, Nickelodeon bought the rights to Ninja Turtles. Yeah, we're, uh, we're very intimately involved with the Turtles and, and, their, <laughs> and their history. Well, then you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, for, a not, uh, for an, uh, a not unsubstantial amount of money, I mean, it was a significant investment for Paramount, mm -hmm. and Turtles was a huge part of my life for about eight or nine years, and, and at the time that it really took off, you know, the first go-around, it was perfect for many reasons for me. Not only was it a steady gig, and 
fool when you get to be part of a show from the ground up that turns out to become a pop culture phenomenon. But, you know, my son at the time was about eight or nine when it really hit. So it was spectacular to, you know, be able to have my son involved with that in terms of, you know, my perspective. And he got a big kick out of having a daddy who was Raphael. So it was really cool on, on both sides of the equation. So, you know, that was 20, God, 20, 23 years ago. I think it's actually the 25th anniversary of the Turtles comic book or the you know the whole franchise so it was a, it was a pretty long time ago and god bless these folks at nickelodeon they just said you know what we'd like to have you come in and read and as the song goes i ain't too proud to beg i'm happy to read for it but i, I said now that they know that i was involved in the original <laughs> one I, you know i just don't want to waste their time because quite often folks have their own ideas of of what they want on, on this particular iteration of a you know, the show, and I totally get that. I was not involved with any of the movies. I just did the cartoon show. I'm proud of the fact that I was, you know, the original guy. I totally understand when different producers get involved, they want to put their own spin on it, no problem. So I just said to my agent, would you kindly remind them that I did the first batch, not because I don't want to read, but because I don't want to waste their time, and frankly, I don't want to get in there and embarrass myself and say, oh, well, you know, let's just throw the old guy a bone since he's here. <laughs> no, they said, no, we, we know exactly who you are, and we're big fans, but we'd like to have you read for Donatello this time. And I said, well, sh sure, why not? <laughs> and so, lo and behold, a couple of thousand guys later, they said, well, he's like in a bad penny. We can't get rid of him, so why don't we, in fact, throw the old guy a bone and this time make him Donatello? So my kid who works at, on Tough Puppy as a production assistant at Nickelodeon called me up and he said, I heard you're going to be doing Turtles again. And I said, yeah, isn't that wild? He said, Dad, you're going to be a Jeopardy question someday. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really wonderful and I wish I could tell you more about the show, but frankly, there's, there's not much more to tell right now. They're still in the casting process vis-a-vis -vis the other guys and I was very thrilled to hear that at least as of well, at least as of 20 minutes to 10 your time, I'm still Donatello. <laughs> um, but we begin recording, I think, next week. And there, uh, as you mentioned, they're for release in fall of 012. I'm really, really excited. So it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to go to work and have people not worry about whether your hair is white, gray, orange, green, whatever color you know your hair is or how big your muscles are or not or how big your gut is or not. And, and the fact that you can use your voice to uh, create characters and not be uh, encumbered by this sort of average-looking white guy body is pretty nice. <laughs> oh, Rob, I was wondering, like, you know, Raphael in a lot of ways has this, uh, I, it's a spin-off of what I've come to consider the, the classic snarky Rob Paulson character. Like, right. Like the, the Mighty Max and the Steel Beak. And the Yakko. What are you planning on bringing to Donatello? I mean, he's a he's a different character in a lot of ways, at least as far as we know. I mean, he does right. Change. Well, you know, in in all I can tell you is from the pilot, he still is, as I recall, the the sort of brains of the operation. I know that there definitely appears to be a romantic interest between Donatello and April, at least from Donatello's side. Oh my. <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know how much it's reciprocated and in fact it may be a felony in some states. <laughs> the, but the, the the difference I think at least for me and, and again I, I probably owe Barry Gordon a, a phone call because first of all I just adore him. For those of you out there who are big turtle fans and I trust me I don't I don't take the importance of this show to a lot of people lightly and and so i want to say the following disclaimer because it's important to me as as a person with hopefully a certain amount of integrity just so you folks know i i made sure that barry wasn't a factor in terms of the show that is to say i didn't want to go in and and read a, you know against barry or audition against barry 
And for what it's worth, people need to know that. I, and I don't know why, and it's it's not my job to know. My job is to go and and you know be the funny voice guy. But I, I apparently was the only one of the other of the four guys that they decided to use. They may have read the other folks. It, it's important for people to know that it wasn't like I went in and snaked Barry's gig from him. That was paramount in my mind before I read for it. I made sure that that was not an issue. So I, I needed to say that because there are, there may be people out there going, God, I really would like to hear, you know, <laughs> Barry Gordon do it or all of that. And and I understand that. But it uh, it's, it's a new version. So these guys have fortunately decided to use me their vision is their vision and apparently i fit in with it for which i'm very grateful but in terms of the 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 new spin what i'll be bringing to the show is you know honestly it kind of depends on what they ask me to bring to it we've only done one episode or rather the pilot so far right. and they might even be tweaking the pilot so so far he he's let's see as i recall mind you it was months ago that we did it there was still the he's still the gadget guy and involved in the technical side the techno geek side of things but he's definitely got a bit more attitude and maybe that's why they decided to use me because you did make a good point a lot of my characters uh, that folks seem to like do have a bit of an edge so Maybe it was that kind of, uh, you know, slight snarkiness that they wanted to couple with, the, you know, the uh, techno geek vibe. And we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I, I, the, already, I can hear and feel people saying, you know, come on, man, turtles are blah, blah, blah. All I can tell you is that, you know, give, give it a chance. First of all, the folks who really remember Ninja Turtles are probably somewhere between 23, 24 to maybe 30-ish. In terms of the you know my or the show I was on the original one. Uh huh. So <laughs> speaking of the room. <laughs> absolutely, my son is 26, so it makes perfect sense. But remember, when these shows are made, they're still primarily made for a demographic of sort of probably 8 to 11 or 8 to 12. Yeah. And and I'm sure that's what Nickelodeon is banking on. So I would only ask people you know if you if you like my stuff and you and you think that I do good work then just you know give it a crack and see what happens it's the, what I've seen so far looks really bitchin it's very cool it has got a, a really cool vibe to it and I wish I could tell you the other actors involved because it's fantastic <laughs> who they've got but you will soon find out the Nickelodeon press machine will start to leak this stuff but they got some really cool people involved I'm very flattered to be part of it and I, I just am asking folks who are fans of mine from, you know, the show 20 years ago to just give it a shot and see what happens and look at it with a fresh eye. Let it sink or swim on its own merits. Well, you can definitely count us in to do that. Thank you. Shifting things a little bit, I have a personal query. Yeah. How did it feel getting away with the jokes you got away with on Animaniacs? With, uh, getting away with the jokes, like plural? Yes. Cause oh, great. You mean like fingerprints? Yes, absolutely, yeah. fingerprints and uh, yeah. conjugate, conjugate, not in school. And, you know, it depends on the, on the, on which syllable you put the appropriate emphasis when you say <laughs> fingerprints, finger, fingerprints or fingerprints, you know. And, yeah, we were completely aware of what was going on at the time. And there were several that didn't make it through uh, broadcast standards, but some that did. And to this day, it's kind of astonishing. I think there are actually a couple of websites that kind of go through this litany of, of the nastiest moments in Animaniacs, and which, which, you know, as as cool as it is, it indicates that there's somebody with entirely too much time on their hands. <laughs> but, um, uh, but no, we were very. Remember, you know, we weren't exactly children when we did this. When I, I Animaniacs, I got that show when I was 32 years old. So we were all a bunch of, at least chronologically, grown-ups, and we knew exactly what was going on. And so did the writers. <laughs> it, it felt great to get away with some of it, and I, and people are picking up on it now. I, I can't tell you how much email and fan mail I get from people that say, 
you know, I'm 20 years old now, or I'm 22, and I remember the show because my, my big sister or my parents watched it because, you know, it was kind of a throwback to the old um, Warner Brothers cartoons, and that is that it was designed to, to work on several levels. But now that I'm in my earlier mid-20s, I'm revisiting all these shows and going, God, these are really cool, and they're, they're, they still are culturally kind of hip, and, and they're all sorts of little jokes and innuendos that you can't believe got through. So I'm, very, I'm, I'm thrilled that that stuff's come around. And, and frankly, it's kind of a, a, a certain vindication that it, at the time we sort of thought, wow, these are really good, and, and I think they might even be around. So 20 years later, it's really flattering to know that people are kind of rediscovering them and finding that they're just as entertaining today as they were when they first came out. <laughs> well, that brings up a question that I had, which is how much improvisation actually finds a place in, in voice acting, or at least in, in, your, in your experience, in your biggest roles? In my experience, it plays a big part, personally, because I'm, I'm, I, I like doing it, and I've had a couple of roles that have really lent themselves to that. The Mask, I did the, the animated version of The Mask, in which I was Jim Carrey for a whole lot less money. But, um, <laughs> I, I, there was a lot of improv there. Actually, in Raphael, too, in The Turtles, there was quite a bit of improv. I wish I could tell you how much of it ended up, ended up on the screen, but of course, you know, I've been lucky enough to do thousands of episodes of different shows, so I don't really recall. But I do know that I am want to do that because it's just part of my gig. It's kind of what I do, and, and folks have since hired me as a result, I'm sorry, because of that. They, they like that. I've always felt pretty comfortable with improv, and I love doing it. I like the challenge. I like the, the sort of danger in quotes of it. Uh, mind you, in, a, in the context of recording a cartoon, it's not very dangerous because you don't have to worry about falling on your ass in front of a bunch of people. But, you know, it, it's, it's cool that we could do things and producers would say, ooh, that's interesting. And quite often as the improvs that would be successful came as a result of really solid scripts. I mean, the, the scripts right out of the box from Animaniacs and Thinking the Brain and Hysteria, Tasmania, all the work I did for Warner Brothers, the scripts were just really solid right out of the box. Mm -hmm. And frankly, by and large, they were with most of the shows. I mean, I've, you know, Turtles, David Wise, who was one of the great writers on that show. I did Tiny Teen Adventure, same thing. A lot of the folks that wrote for that were on Animaniacs. A lot of the scripts I've done for Jimmy Neutron and Fairly Odd Parents are just as sharp as hell, you know. They inevitably allow me to to use this sort of framework, you know, to come up with something that, if not better, different. And the producers are usually really cool about keeping some of it, but of course it depends on what works and what doesn't. But it, 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 the, the main thing, though, is once people trust your improv skills, then they hire you for that skill, and, and, and they, they trust that you'll at least explore that possibility. And oftentimes it actually ends up making, uh, you know, making the show better, not so much because I came up with a brilliant nugget, but because... Uh, they allow that creativity to, to sort of be there, and they're not just married to what's on the page. And so I, I really you know, appreciate that room to play. When a producer allows you that room and that freedom to play, it's, it's just a, a huge... It's actually kind of, for me, it's kind of a weight off my shoulders, not, not because, you know, it's not like you're, you're going out there wearing for the, you know, the, the axe drop on your head, but when they allow you that freedom, then you don't, have, you don't worry about offending somebody. You know, you know, because <laughs> yeah. these guys work really hard on their scripts, and, it's in, and, I, and usually when you're writing on a show like that, that's your primary gig, so you live with it all the time, and you get notes, and you get producers calling you, and the network, and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm a hired gun. I walk in, I do my thing, I make my funny jokes, I get a free sandwich, and I go on to the next one. <laughs> and like the wind. So I, when somebody says, oh, no, 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 go for it, see what you got, then that's a, that's a huge, not only is it flattering, but it's a, it's... It allows you the freedom to, to sort of explore all kinds of cool stuff 
without worrying that somebody's going to put the kibosh on it. I go, no, 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 no. It doesn't say that on the page. So I don't, I don't run into that anymore. And, I'm, and, I, and, and frankly, I never did. I was really lucky that I sort of hit things, you know, at the right time. And people said, oh, this guy's, you know, he's not bad, and he can improvise a little bit. Why don't you let him run with it and see what happens? So I, I, I really love that, and I'm, I'm thrilled that people hire me for that, uh, that skill set now. Rob, what's your process for creating a character? Like when, when someone gives you like you know general description, you read what's what's happening on page. What sort of steps do you go through to to, to create that voice? Generally, we get like a two-dimensional model sheet of the character, and so you get some physical ideas of what you know the critter looks like, uh, and then the producers obviously have their ideas of what they think they want. And I don't mean that as a in a kind of a, a snarky way. Yeah. They honestly will say, "We're not quite sure, but you know, when we hear it, we'll know it." Which means, you know, I, I, I say, "Look, man, my last name is Paulson, not Kreskin." You know, I can't. <laughs> I can't read your mind. But again, because you know, you're allowed that freedom, sometimes it works and sometimes you're completely off base. In my case, I'll look at it, I get you know, a breakdown of things, and then I try to come up with things that make me laugh, things that I find, or, or not laugh, or things that make me, if the character is supposed to have an, a bizarre attitude, things that make me uncomfortable, or things that I find that, that, I, that I, would, I would watch and go, ooh, that's weird. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and try to throw those in, in there, especially, you know, in the auditioning phase, because it's so competitive. And there's so, so, so many really good actors. And now we've got celebrities like crazy doing voiceover. So, you know, it's a hugely competitive field. Um, so you've got to do something to red flag yourself and hopefully do something that is interesting to get you the gig. With Pinky, for instance, I knew pretty much right off the bat that Maurice was going to be doing the brain because, you know, it's perfect, and, and he had always done, he's such a brilliant mimic, and of course he does the quintessential Orson Welles. As a matter of fact, for your listeners, if those of you have seen the movie Ed Wood, Vince D'Onofrio was Orson Welles in that really terrific Tim Burton movie, but Vince's voice throughout the whole movie uh, as a young Orson Welles was, um, was Maurice. I had and, no idea. That's incredible. Yeah. It's a seamless work. I mean, the editors did it. The sound editors were just did a freaking brilliant job. But Maurice is just, he's from another planet, man. He's so good. And, and so anyway, I knew that he was going to probably be the brain for obvious reasons. It worked perfectly. <laughs> you know, it just it worked perfectly. So when I saw Pinky, I thought, well, this is interesting. You know, he looks pretty stupid. I got that down like crazy. <laughs> and, and he's got a, you know, he definitely had a physical characteristic that lent itself to come up you know with that big overbite so i kind of thrilled it and, and frankly the only reason i tried an english thing or a kind of a bizarre cockney thing was because i thought it'd be cool and that's kind of what i like i just said earlier i find something that say oh you know what i would dig this if i watched this i would say oh that that cat's thinking pretty cool i i, I like that and it doesn't always work because i'm you know, basing it on what I would find interesting. In that case, it did. So we tried a couple of different things, and they really liked the whole British thing as a, as a, you know, plus the character was very sweet. He's incredibly loyal, and I try to throw those in there, too. But mind you, again, that's the way it's written. So the, the voice, and then it kind of takes care of itself as things, you know, move along. Gave that to him, and fortunately, Mr. Spielberg, in his infinite wisdom, decided to give me a job. <laughs> that's one example. Uh, also, you know what I do... I find that my, my characters that become well-loved, and, and virtually all characters that I love, whether they're live-action or animated characters, it really doesn't matter. Acting is acting. I love to see characters that, when I see them for the few minutes they're on the screen when I'm watching something, I feel like they've come from somewhere, and when the show is over, they're on their way to somewhere else. That is, I've, I've actually seen them in a segment of, of their life. And it doesn't matter to me whether they're 
uh, animated or three-dimensional or two-dimensional or live-action or Robert De Niro or Robert Redford or Catherine Hepburn. I, I, I believe the integrity of the character, I, you know, and I, I like the, forgive this hackneyed phrase, but I like the organic quality of the character that makes them seem that much more real. Try, I strive for that, and so what I do is, before I read for something, I can improvise, I, I, work it, I work it out so that I can improvise in the context of the character. So whatever voice I come up with, whatever choices I make, you know, I, would, I could actually, I, I try to find a way to be able to speak as that character off the script, so that if somebody came in and started talking to Pinky, you know, I would, I would come up with phrases and, and, and make choices in, in how I use words and how I express myself that would be germane to that character. They aren't necessarily the way Rob would speak. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that makes any sense to you guys, but... It does but, uh, a lot, actually. Yeah, but that, then that's what I try to do. And so I find that if you, can, if you can get into a position where you're able to do that, then you got something, and then the script, you know, you and the writers are on the same page, and the script is, fits in your wheelhouse in terms of how you've made these choices to, to create this character. That's kind of my process. I find that if, if, you know, if I can get to a place where I'm comfortable having a chat with you know, anybody in, in, as that character without a script and it's still true and sort of organic to the nature of, of what we've come up with, then I think I, I've got something. That doesn't always work, but I've had the good fortune to have probably three or four that I feel like have. I, you know, between Pinky and Yakko and Raphael, and, and one of my favorite characters is Carl Weezer from uh, Jimmy Neutron. Um, because, you know, he's got that really weird sound, but when I talk, when I talk like him, I have a lazy L, and I'm very slow, and I, I'm using an inhaler, and, you know, it's weird, because chicks dig me, but but baby chickens, and that's just odd. <laughs> but it, it's, it, to me, it's, it's interesting, though, and, and it still interest, it interests me how, when I do that, my, my voice print changes, my demeanor changes, my, my speech pattern changes, you know, I slow down. Mind you, I've done that character now for 10 years on and off for different shows, but um, so it's really cool when that happens because you can actually feel the the physicality of the character coming through in, in, in the voice. And it, it's not surprising then why, why a character like that works. And then, you know, all the, the, the jokes or the, the uh, weirdness or the scariness or the pathetic quality or whatever it is that's coming out of the character then is a, is a natural occurrence because the actor's done his job. And I think that's, that's kind of how it works for me anyway. There's actually something I was wondering about that's kind of the opposite of all this. When I went to Epcot last week, I noticed on the Three Caballeros ride that you're actually the voice of, oh, what's his name, Jose Carioca now. I Uh, I am, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I uh, definitely could recognize you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I was wondering, though, what is it like to take over the role of a character that's already pre-established? That wasn't a really well, at least in my view, forgive me for those of you who are total Disney guys and girls, but... You know, I was familiar with it. I had seen the cartoons with those being used before from, I don't know, the 50s or I don't even know. It was a long time ago. And when I read, when I auditioned for it, I think it's Carlos, Carlos Ellis Rocky and me, who is just a brilliant actor, just one of the nicest humans that's ever drawn a breath. You know, it wasn't an iconic character. So there, it's basically just mimicking the, you know, the character. And I, as I recall, I think 
the character that I did, Jose Carioca, I think was actually like a Cuban actor. I don't read, forgive me, I don't remember who it was. He was either Cuban or Spanish. I think or he Mexican. was Brazilian, actually, because the character's Brazilian. from Brazil. Brazilian, that's right. Yeah, that's right, Brazilian. Yeah, that's so the, was, um, the foil about, about that character is he's actually, because he's a Brazilian character and because he's a character created by uh, Walt Disney for, like, to, to be embody Brazil, like, he has, a, he has, like, no audience in America, but a massive Brazilian audience. Yeah, and I had no idea. So basically, I was just listening to the guy who did the great work, and I, and I tried to do the best knockoff I could. That's very <laughs> rare for me. Most of my work, I, I, all my characters that have been successful have been things that I've been fortunate enough to work on from the ground floor. You know, Raphael, Yakko, Pinky, Carl Weezer, Arthur from The Tick. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can list them for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. You know, so, uh, but, but, but those things. Now, mind you, the, it's going to be an interesting challenge to see what happens with Donatello because there's a preconceived idea, at least from a lot of people, about what he's like. So in that case, I'm going to be actually sort of taking over a character that's already been well-established vis-a-vis the cartoon, but there have been several actors playing Donatello in the movies. And yet my voice sounds nothing like Barry Gordon's. I mean, I could probably do a kind of a bad version of Barry, but <laughs> Barry sounds a lot like, I mean, his char- like Raphael. Raphael pretty much sounds like me with an attitude. And then same with Barry. Uh, Donatello sounds a lot like Barry. So I'm not going to try to do an impression of Barry, they, and that's not what, they, what the producers want. In the case of a, of a, of a deer well-known character, well-loved character like Mickey Mouse or, uh, or Winnie the Pooh, you know, in those cases you have a very, very popular, this very well-established, and the studio wants it to sound seamless so that the audience doesn't say, that's not Mickey Mouse. So I'm not very good at that. As a matter of fact, Wayne Allwine, who passed away last year, God bless him, who was the voice of Mickey Mouse for, God, I don't know, 30 years or something, 35 years, just a delightful man and, and just a, a really sweet human uh, I remember he called me up as he was starting to get ill, and he said, you know, Rob, I would really love for you to take this over. And I said, man, Whoa. So, so would I. Nothing, I mean, there are very few things that would please me more, and to be able to not only, you know, be the, in the lineage of, of that particular character, but it's a great gig. I mean, geez, yeah. just that alone is a, practically a full-time gig. But I said, Wayne, you know, the truth is that I would do a bad impression of somebody doing a good impression of you. And I'm just not that good at it. I'm an actor. I'm so, I'm a, I think I'm a solid actor, good singer, solid improviser, but I'm not a mimic. I'm not an impressionist. I don't have that skill. I've got, I can do great dialects. I'm comfortable with my ability to even learn a dialect that I'm not comfortable with if I have enough time. And I'm willing to try anything because I'm confident that I could find it. But when it comes to iconic characters like that, there are too many people around that, that do them. So I don't even bother when they're looking for bugs or... Daffy or Tweety or Winnie the Pooh or any I just don't even mess with it. You know, they're just mm-hmm. too many good mm-hmm. folks. But I hope that's not a convoluted answer to your question. I, I, oh, I no. that just doesn't happen to me that often. That was as I, as I can think. Oh, the only other time it's happened to me was I did the second version of Johnny Quest. I was Haji, and uh, <laughs> so that happened. That was the nineties. Uh, the nineties new Johnny Quest, right? Is that what it was called? Yeah, and actually it happened in the mid eighties. It was like eighty. Oh, okay. There's, I like think that. there's been a Johnny Quest since then, actually. Oh, there probably has. Yeah. I did the, I did the. It was cool for me because I watched the original one when I was a kid, and and many people don't know that the original Johnny Quest was uh, Tim Matheson. Uh-huh. But I used to watch that because I'm pretty old. I, I was. People also don't know that I was in fact the entertainment at the Last Supper. I'm so old. <laughs> I was. Uh, I was. But in those days, I went 
by the name of Shecky of Arimathea. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I watched Johnny Quest. I was a huge fan of that show when I was a kid. It was a killer show, action-adventure show for boys. Yeah. And so when it came around that I could do Haji, that was really a thrill for me. And it, they definitely wanted it to be pretty close to the original. So I think it was because the guy that, I don't remember the name of the fellow that did Haji, um, but it was pretty close, and it was certainly close enough to, to work in the, you know, in the context of the new show. But that and, and the Jose Carioca, which has so far only been a one-shot deal, that is for that ride at Epcot. Uh, maybe they've done, I don't know, a little Actually, cartoon. I think you were still on House of Mouse as well. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. I think I did something as uh, other than that. Uh, but that was it. Uh, so for me, I'm better at creating my own stuff, which is also cool because then if it works, you've got a job, you know. It's, it's nice to be the guy instead of a character like, you know, Donald Duck. Well, Donald, Tony Anselmo has been doing that for years. But other characters, you know, there's always the possibility they can say, eh, he just doesn't sound like Bugs Bunny. We're going to get another one. Yeah. And, mm. you know, and, and they can do that. I mean, Bob Bergen has been Porky Pig forever, and he's had to re-audition two or three times to keep that gig. <laughs> but, you know, for me, they're not going to say, you know, we love Jimmy Neutron, and, and Planet Sheen is a great spin-off and all that, but we're going to audition somebody else to be the voice of Carl. It just makes no sense. If the show's already hit, they're not going to screw with it, you know? Yeah. For me, it's been very fortuitous that I'm able to create the new ones, and, and I'm really grateful for that. Rob, would you be into a, a little experiment? Uh, it depends. Is, do I have to take off my clothes? Cause you're not <laughs> Only if it would help. If it would help you um, to get well, more comfortable, we can do the same. Yeah, what do you What do you got in mind? A improvisational voice acting, sort of, like short character summaries and just kind of see what comes out of you from, sure, from your gut. Okay. <laughs> okay, for instance, a uh, really snarky demon. Well, maybe maybe snarky's not the right word. Hateful. <laughs> maybe the right okay. word. A, a, a hateful demon? Yeah, like, uh, he's, he's just kind of very cynical, very arrogant, and uh, and just generally loving of deceit. It's not, he's not sort of the, the gesture type, and he's not really the flay skin from the bones, dip your face in acid type, though he, he, he appreciates that. <laughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> well, then, we could try something like this. I don't think you people have any idea what you're talking about. I'll tell you this. As far as I'm concerned, you can all pound sand because I've had it up to here with your attitude and your I'm younger than you are bullshit. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you can go ride that stupid ride at Epcot Center with the singing Brazilian bird till your eyeballs fall out of your head. Oh, and by the way, when they fall out of your head, Send them to me because they make a lovely keychain. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Sounds> amazing. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, I mean, that's a, you know, and the cool thing is, is that you can have him talking like this, but then, of course, you could also make him, um, you know, you could put a dialect on him if you want to. You could, uh, you could put a dialect in because most people think of <laughs> evil people having a British accent. I don't know why, <laughs> but they do. Now, of course, you could also make him like this, but then he wouldn't sound so snarky. He'd sound like Bill Clinton with, uh, with uh, laryngitis. <laughs> you know I mean, you could, you could do this all damn day, too, but he just don't sound so mean. <laughs> sounds more like it's, uh, this, this boy just, uh, he just can't find his own ass, you know. <laughs> Some of the day is long, but interestingly, it's a, it's a same placement. It's just a different sound from you go from this, good old boy, to back to this, and all of a sudden you've got a different character, which is really lovely. Because then you 
That's how it's done, son. <laughs> For real, wow. <laughs> how about, how about like dwarf, little bit retarded, kind of almost pubescent in a way? But I, I wouldn't say retarded, I'd just say he's very ignorant to the ways of the world. Very young, very, young in mind, but still. An, an ignorant dwarf? Okay. Yeah. All right, and he's a, he's a, a little, a dwarf sort of? Yeah, yeah, yeah like, like a, you okay. know. Okay, well then we could tell him. <laughs> wow. We could make him sort of weird like this, and he would have, uh, he's a little bit reticent to, uh, to move forward because he's just not sure what's going to happen, and if he does, he might get in trouble, and we don't want that because it's really scary to me, but if you would call my mom, <laughs> I would feel much better about the fact that I just wet myself. <laughs> so, actually, you know, that was kind of a, a fun character I did years ago on a show called uh, Teacher's Pet. I did a character named Ian Wazalewski. Yeah, yeah who, wow, uh, that was a, I'd totally forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, go back and watch that show. And there was another one, too, that I did uh, that was actually a very cool show. And the, the Teacher's Pet movie made for, uh, direct for video was excellent. So you should go back and watch that. And then I did another show for ABC that kind of got lost in the shuffle when Cap City sold them to Disney. Uh, I did a show called Bump in the Night. Yeah. In, in, yeah. in which Jim Cummings and Gail Mathias and I were the three leads, and Jim played a character named Mr. Bumpy. And I played a character called Mr. Uh, Squishington, and we, we lived under the toilet. It was really wild. And um, mind you, as a, a you know, as a person in high school who would experiment in different sorts of things, I probably spent more than my share under the of time under the toilet anyway. But this <laughs> um, is all great training. But but that character was like this. It wasn't quite. It wasn't. It wasn't quite. Dogs hate uh, that voice. It, wasn't, yeah, no, it, freaks the, it freaks the dogs out. <laughs> but Mr. But Squishington was like this. He was a very happy character, not at all like this. Like that, that, that weird, you know, thing we were just doing. <laughs> no, he was, uh... He was very excited, almost like a little shooty temper. <laughs> <laughs> but a very fun character, and uh, and I thought that show never got the, the, the credit it deserved. It was a very clever show. The writers were excellent. Music got to sing these cool songs. Yeah, my and memories of the show, show are really called, foggy, uh, but I did looked... a show at Cartoon Network called Time Squad. That was, I was yes. really bummed that didn't go. That was with me and Pam Siegel, who was the voice of Bobby Hill, and also a brilliant improviser, and Mark Hamill. You know, everybody knows of Luke Skywalker and also the Joker on Batman the Animated Series, but he, he played a robot, and it was, mm -hmm. I played a character named Buck Tud Russell. Who's a good old boy like this, and he's talking about he's a big old fella. You know, he's an intergalactic uh, po, po po man, police man. <laughs> he talked like this all day long. And, they is going through the time. It's kind of like Peabody and Sherman without that goofy-ass dog. And that, <laughs> and that sort of sissy-ass little kid with them glasses on. We, we go through history and meet Eli Whitney and Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. Hell, it was, it was, entire, it was, it was as much fun as kicking puppies, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> there was so, but but that was one of those where I just got to go all over the place. And you got to do pillar, you know, this kind of thing, which I'd never get hired for because... Like I said, I'm an average-looking white guy, about five, nine and a half, and a buck sixty-two, and ain't nobody gonna hire me for this because I ain't too imposing. You know? <laughs> um, but when they do it, with, when they do it with your voice, they can draw it to be 
you know, crazy, and then I get to get get to work with Mark Hamill and Pam Siegel, so it's pretty, pretty fun. Yeah, if you brought that voice into an alley with me, I I do anything you want. <laughs> no kidding, isn't that the truth you say, man? You gonna you gonna eat that? Because if you don't, I'm gonna cut you three ways, buddy. Up and down, seriously. So but uh, yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's great fun to, to say the least. You've done some work for video games in the past. A surprising amount of it was actually in the 16-bit era, which I thought was interesting. You did Bubsy the Bobcat and uh, right. Lost Vikings, and I was wondering what it was like back then. If maybe it was just maybe it was just normal, maybe it was just regular voice acting. But, uh, but oh yeah, no, I mean I I wouldn't know the difference in terms of there was no difference from my end of it in terms of the technical aspects of it. Okay. I, and I still do voice video games occasionally, not that many of them, but usually in the context there are video games attached to a show I might do, but. I, I, there really is no difference from what I do. Just did a video game last week with John DiMaggio, who's another guy that's from another planet. He's so freaking talented. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's, and he's just a larger than life, man. He's so talented. But Johnny and I did a couple of recurring characters on Ben 10, and they were in this new video game, that we, the second video game we've done for these guys based on that series. And I think you guys just talked to Yuri Lowenthal, right? We did, yes. Yeah. correct. Oh, how talented is that kid? And oh, you know yeah. what else? Not only is he talented, he's he's incredibly good looking. He's incredibly <laughs> nice. He's so, you know, if I didn't love him so much, I'd hate him because he's just perfect. He's great. <laughs> he's respectful. He's the nicest guy, and he's so talented. And I just I adore him. And and he's got it going on, man. He's what is he like? Thirty five. He looks like a million bucks. Chicks dig him. <laughs> and you know. I'm just so far over the hill, I can't even see the freaking hill anymore. So when a guy like that shows up, you kind of go, man, I just want to take him out and pound him, except he's just so nice. <laughs> Tagging back to video games real quick, something that I, I noticed when I was scanning over all the things you've been involved with, uh, you did some voice work for uh, the Clay Fighter series and the N64 game Clay Fighter 63 and a third. Yeah. And they're actually preparing to relaunch that game on uh, for download later this year, and I was... Oh. Uh, I, there you go, you're surprised. So, so my, yeah. my question was going to be is whether or not your voice work had been retained in that. Well, as far as, I, you know, they haven't called me. I don't know. I, I presume that what would happen is, and I appreciate you telling me, I'll, I'll call my agent. Um, <laughs> what, I presume if they relaunch what we did and just put this, I'm, I, I'm assuming they can take the same voice work and just put it on another platform. I would hope um, so. So they may just use the same thing, or maybe not. Maybe they'll just get all, all new actors to redo it. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, what, um, what a lot of people don't know about that game is that it's got uh, basically the Animaniacs cast on it. It's got it you does. and Jess yeah, Arnell I remember and Trust O'Neill. And I, I did another one called Toonsylvania, which had a lot of us on it, too, a lot of Animaniacs. Jim Cummings, and when I say Animaniacs, you know, everybody pretty much worked on the show one time or another who's out here anyway. The, the, <laughs> the main characters were you know, Frank and, and Tress and Jess and myself and, oh, gosh, Bernadette Peters. A lot of those worked on, you know, cross-pollinate video games and things like that all the time. Yeah. Something that Billy West is, speaks about often is how non-voice work actors mm -hmm. uh, c coming in and taking roles. And uh, something I heard him mention in an interview not too long ago was this bizarre phenomenon of, of having a voice actor come in and, and read work for a voice role, which they're inevitably, oh, yeah. inevitably going to cast. Uh, right. to a celebrity, and then actually taking the, the tapes that they've recorded with a talented voice actor on it and giving it to the celebrity who's they had the role ready for them to begin with, and borrowing from the voice actor's work, even sometimes taking like improvisations that they've done, and they'll appear coming out of the celebrity's right. mouth. Wow. Yeah, like really nasty stuff. Has that ever happened to you? Do you have experience with this? I'm sure it has, but you know what? That's showbiz. 
yeah. really. I mean, it's it's the way it goes. And I'm a capitalist, you know. I I make money, and somebody employs me, and they own it. If they have, if they decide that you've done something under their auspices for which they've paid you, they have every right to say, you know, what we had another actor say this line, and we like it better than what's on the page. So would you say this line, Christian Slater, or would you say this <laughs> line, uh, Jeff Bridges? And it's their money. They can do whatever they want. As long as I'm paid, and I don't mean to sound so cynical, but truly, that is showbiz. And yeah. um, I don't like it, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff I don't like. So my feeling is that I love Billy. He's one of my dearest friends. Been to my son's birthday party for the last, oh, God, from the time he was about eight till the time he was 18. <laughs> and a real, real good family friend and one of my dearest friends. And, and as you know, just I don't even have to talk about his talent. He's fearless and nope. he's so gifted. <laughs> he's great. Um, but I don't get so bent out of shape about the whole celebrity thing. I don't like it, but my feeling is that it doesn't do any good to complain about it because there's no law against it. It's not illegal. It may be a little... It's not even really unethical because it's not like they say, oh, well, you know, you're going to be the guy, and then they steal something and then don't pay you. And, mm -hmm. you know, quite often you walk in and say, look, we're going to use... Ashton Kutcher is going to be the... He's going to be the talking dog in this thing, but we really want you to do the temp track and, uh, you know, see what you got. And then generally what they'll do is give you some smaller role and you make a little money on the back end and residual, so it's not all bad. But my feeling is, instead of saying, geez, you know, that really sucks that they use celebrities. Well, that's always the way, you know, it's, it's ever thus. Celebrities are celebrities, and sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not, but they are celebrities. I mean, you know, every time actors get, get bent out of shape about folks saying, uh, you know, we're not, we don't think you're worth this or you're worth that, I don't like it when people pull that crap. But you know what, folks? I said to, to, to my actor buddies when you have union music, dude, yeah, we're good at what we do, and I'm proud of my work, and... I want to get better, but remember, Anna Nicole Smith is a SAG member, okay? You don't have to be Meryl Streep to get your SAG card. In Anna's case, it was about her boobs and her hair, and that's fine. I mean, that's, that's showbiz. That's what people wanted to see for whatever reason, and they, you know, they hired her. So if they want to hire Anna Nicole Smith or, or Paris Hilton or one of the Kardashian sisters to be in the movie and pay him a hundred grand, and Tress McNeil goes in, she has the right to say, I'm not going to do temp tracks for that goofball. <laughs> then she doesn't have to. So my feeling is that I, what I try to do is be so good that the producers have to find some way to justify spending the money. If they decide that they want to give the money to Ashton Kutcher to use his normal voice to be the talking dog, God bless them. It's their money. If they want to pay the guy a million bucks, I hope someday I'm famous enough that they want to give me a million bucks. But what I have to do then is instead of complaining about it, and I'm not saying Billy was, don't get me wrong. I'm saying he's got yeah. a very valid point, and I agree with him. But there's nothing we can do about it because people either will or will not go to the movie based on its own merits. So what I feel my job is to do is to be so freaking good that the producers have to say, gee, Christ, you know, Rob, Rob was great. And he's got an Emmy. He's got all these awards. So to the extent that it matters in marketing, why are we using Ashton Kutcher? We can pay Rob a shitload less of money than Ashton Kutcher, and we're going to get half a dozen other characters out of him. <laughs> and, you know, and it's the same thing with Billy and Jeff Bennett and Welker and all of us. They can. That's what we do. My, most of my characters don't sound like me. I mean, you know, Raphael does, but the other ones that we talk about don't. That's what I do. That's, that's the magic in what we do. But if a producer wants to pay somebody based on their, their TVQ or their recognizability factor, that's the way it goes. And uh, truly, that, that is showbiz. However, the tide changes a little bit, and it has, and a great example of that, and I've used it often since it's happened, fortunately, is a few years ago I was doing that. I was going in to do a temp track, Jeff Bennett and I, as a matter of fact. We have the same agency, and they called and said, hey, man, they want you to, on this new uh, 
John Lasseter produced thing at Disney for Tinkerbell. They've got these two kind of whack fairy guys that are going to be voiced by celebrities, and we're not exactly sure who, but would you go in and oh, sure, why not? You know, these guys at Disney have been so great to me, and, and I like them. They're friends. So I went in and did the thing, and we were done in a couple of hours, and, and they told me right off the bat, they said, Rob, the guy that they want to use, a Scottish actor who was, I guess, one of the, one of the regular hobbit critters in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I don't know who it was. I'm not that familiar with the trilogy, but this is who they want to do this character. The only problem they have, and I, I swear to God, they said this, <laughs> was that he's very difficult to understand because he's got this heavy-duty Glaswegian accent. So would you please do a Scottish accent for the temp track, and then I'll get an idea of how the character sounds and looks. And blah, blah. I said, sure. So he did the thing, and when I got done, I said, you know, at the risk of sounding ungrateful, please allow me to vet my spleen for a second. And, and what I'm going to ask you is the following. Why on earth would you use this guy? Not because he's not a great actor. I'm sure he is. But you've already told me you can't understand him. He lives in England. He doesn't do this gig. So that is, you've, you know, in addition to not understanding him, you're going to get him to do this character because you know that he probably can't come up with other ones because he couldn't understand those either. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're going to have to phone patch him or do it by satellite. And you know you're going to, because he's already been in the movies, they're going to pay him the extra money, which is not a big deal. Again, I'm a capitalist. I'm, I'm out. I, everybody deserves what they can get. But, you know, forgive me. I just, it doesn't make sense to me. Okay, consider my spleen vented and thanks very much for the gig, you guys. We'll see you on the next one. Well, I got a call a couple of days later. My agent said, what did you say to those people? And I said, yeah. nothing. I I wasn't rude. I just said it doesn't make sense to me. And and the folks with whom I was working said the same thing. These are decisions that aren't made by the people in the studio. These are decisions made by, you know, folks in the, the ivory towers that we never meet. Yeah. And, and that's fine. So they said, well, John Lasseter was listening to the temp tracks. And he said, Jesus, I know Jeff Bennett and Rob Paulson. He, let's use them. They're, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, well, thank you very much. Because the one guy that could have totally said, you know, we're going to hire, I mean, John Lasseter is John Lasseter. He can get whoever, whoever he wants. He yeah. can get Steven yeah. Spielberg to do the show if he wanted to. <laughs> so how cool was that that John said, oh, no, because I totally understand how this gig works. The, the movies have sold a pile of them. We're on, we're, I think they just greenlit the sixth in a series of Tinkerbell movies. They've been highly successful on DVD. They're mm -hmm. charming as hell. The last one, Michael Sheehan was in it, who's a wonderful actor, mm -hmm. and, you know, played his voice and did a great job in the, in the show. But... For these secondary characters, and sometimes even primary characters, it's happening more and more where they are willing to say, well, you know, why would we, why would we not use the, the people that do this? So, you know, I, I'm hopeful that someday when they, if they do the Pinky and the Brain movie, that they don't say, okay, we're going to get Ashton Kutcher and Vince Vaughn to be Pinky and the Brain. But it's <laughs> I hope they don't, but it's their dime. So the only thing I and can do is try to be so good that they just feel like spending the money. It has nothing to do with the fact that that I'm not qualified. So my, uh, my feeling is I bitch about it for about 30 seconds and then say, okay, I'm going to hoist up my britches and just be really, 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 really good. And so that's what I continue to try to do as I strive to do as I become more and more ensconced in middle age. Uh, Rob, uh, one last question. Uh, yeah. All, at all the conventions and all the appearances and everything and people coming up to you being so enthusiastic about all the characters you've ever portrayed, What's the weirdest thing that you've been asked to say as a character? Well, I, I've had people come up to me asking, asking Maurice and me, or Maurice and I together, to, to say all sorts of really obnoxious sort of uh, sexual innuendos between Pinky and the Brain, <laughs> which, you know, which we, 
very respectfully, sometimes not so respectfully, say, look, dude, come on, you know, really, I'm not going to do that. I, I, with the way we have the instantaneous nature of today's media, trust me, I'm not going to say anything <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm aware of it that's going to end up on YouTube. As a matter of fact, I remember, it's, it's already come back to haunt me, Maurice and I were at a convention in Miami a couple of years ago, and there was a, <laughs> somebody said, hey, can I take a little video of you guys, or taking a, I know what it was, can I take a picture of Pinky and the Brain together? I said, sure. Maurice and I do it all the time. Dan, I had my arm around Mo, and we were talking. And I wasn't aware the guy was shooting video. Mm. He was just, I thought he was taking a picture, and he said, okay, smile. I go, okay, I'm smiling. La, 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 me and Brain, here we are. La, da, no. da, 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 da. <laughs> The guy was taking his time, and I'm going, la, da, da, okay, all right, take the fucking picture, because we're waiting, you know. <laughs> and, um, and I was just, and so all of a sudden, it ends up on YouTube, and I get fans going, Oh, Mr. Paulson, I didn't know the word. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, fortunately, I learned my lesson without doing too much damage. But, um, you know, I, I, I get asked a lot of times to do um, phone message machines for people at home. And I've really never asked, you know, anything particularly odd to say. The, as I said, you know, just that, that instance occasion where Maurice and I get those questions. Or mm. folks want to hear, you know, famous characters say dirty words and things like that. But I don't ordinarily do that too much because for the reasons I just mentioned you know, you <laughs> have it out there I did once have a, 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 a great story to end on is in 1993 yeah June or Ju July of 1993 when we were Animaniacs was just being uh, prepared to be launched in the fall of that year and we were all at Comic Con to promote it I was sitting on a panel with a bunch of the Animaniacs producers and writers and folks were all excited and I was too I mean I I love that show. And they played, you know, I did this song, uh, did this little piece called Yakko's World in which I sing all the countries of the world, most of the countries of the world. It's a really cool piece. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's very clever. Oh, yeah. oh we yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a really cool spot thing. And so the first time they aired this was, or they showed it rather, was at Comic-Con. It hadn't been on TV yet or anything. And, and there was a, probably two or 3,000 people in the audience, really nice crowd, and the thing played, and Everybody got excited, and there was a, you know, they opened the floor to questions, and there was a lady sitting in the front row who looked to me like Patti LaBelle dressed as a Klingon, which is kind of redundant. You know? <laughs> she had this giant hair and gold lame and weird, you know, stuff. And uh, so she said, uh, may I ask Mr. Paulson a question? I said, sure, what, what can I do for you, darling? She said, well, <clears throat> that was such a cool song that you, that, that was you, right? I said, it was. And she said, oh, my God, it was great. I really loved it. Did you improvise that song? <laughs> I looked, you know, I looked at the other guys on the on the panel, and, and they said, "Well, you, did you, Rob?" And I said, "You know what? I did. I actually, <laughs> I made that song up on the spur of the moment, and I wish I could stay and take more questions, but I'm actually going to record a song about everybody who's ever played Major League Baseball." And <laughs> so I got to go. And I said, of course, come on, I'm good, but I'm not that good, you know. So uh, every now and then, people are uh, will say things that kind of take you aback but you just play along and have a great time and after all it is cartoons we're talking about here so you can take the process seriously because you want to make sure you do the you know do good work but in the end it's all about laughing and having a good time so uh, I'm that's what I try to do and I appreciate you guys taking the time to speak to me and, and thank you very much for the folks listening to, you know, for, for paying attention for all these years and I've got all sorts of fun stuff coming up so if I if, if I can please take the liberty of plugging my little um by all uh, means, please. Yeah, you can you can look me up on Facebook and just plain old Rob Paulson, P A U L S E N, uh, or my Twitter feed, which is Yakko Pinky. Um, 
all one word. Please go ahead and look me up. Pay attention on Facebook. I've got a pretty cool announcement in the next week or so about uh, a new venture I'm I'm really looking forward to, and I'm going to hopefully do some stuff that will allow me to to meet a whole bunch of you in person. So I, I, it really means a lot to me that folks have paid attention for literally a generation now. I've got stuff that spanned uh, you know over 25 years, so I'm I'm looking forward to the next 25. Thank you seriously and very sincerely for for paying attention all those years. It's 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 not lost on me how fortunate I am. I mean, thank you, Rob. It's <laughs> yeah. uh, a, a freaking legacy of uh, of character well, work. No. We well, had a thanks, blast buddy. talking I, to you tonight. Yes. It's my pleasure, you guys. You were really delightful, and thanks for taking so much time. And and hopefully we'll talk again sometime. Wow, that Legend. was legendary. That yes. that was incredible listening was... to someone who has. Literally sculpted well, my was, childhood. Why was Raphael so polite? <laughs> I don't understand anything anymore. Why are all my cartoon characters more than that talking to me? Well, my mom said if this ever happened, <laughs> more than that, that, I am crazy. More than that chair talk to you. That was weird. <laughs> so did Jennifer as a country bumpkin. <laughs> I think I think that Ryan, does he have any that's, family that's, up there? Maybe. Yeah, in, 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 in Southern Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that's his uh, his cousin in the the boonies of yeah. Cleveland. <laughs> well, what we have to take us out is a very vibrant remix of the Scrap Brain Zone from Sonic the Hedgehog One by Jive Master, and this is simply called Particle Brain. <gasps> and I, I believe Rob did some work in Sonic, right? Did yes, he did. Know? He was Antoine. He was a Frenchman on the Sonic the Saturday series, and I'm doing a very you're, Yeah, you're doing. You're disrespecting Rob. You better <laughs> shut up, or I'm gonna yeah, knock that not, smile off your face. That's not what Antoine sounds like. <laughs> um, he also married Princess Sally. No, no, no. He married Bunny Rabbit. Oh, he my married friend. Bunny Rabbit. Oh. God damn it! I blew my cover. Not actually. But you don't actually have Asperger's. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> no one believes me. <laughs>
Hey people, Steve Bloom here, voice of Spike Spiegel, Wolverine, etc. You know, your friendly neighborhood psycho voice monkey. Anyway, you're listening to The Nerdy Show. Stay tuned. Tell a friend. They need people to listen or they'll close down. And I will personally come to your house and take your daughter. Welcome back. What you just heard was Stand Out by Tevin Campbell. Going a little bit back in time to that one. How far back? Back to the Goofy movie. <laughs> nice. Right on. All right, on the phone with us, we have Yuri Lowenthal. Yuri is... Uh, it is I. You were actually requested for this episode. Really? Our yeah. Our I was I'm glad to comply then. Yeah, they. Uh, I, I think it might be because uh, you're in many ways at the forefront of whenever someone, whenever like a, a young person is like, I want to be a voice actor. If they, if they start looking into that today, they go directly to you. That is uh, that is a super, wow, I'm super grateful and, and uh, 
totally intimidated by that. <laughs> As well you should be, the internet's a scary place. <laughs> I know! The, uh, the the main reason that all eyes turn to Yuri Lowenthal is that you and your wife, Tara Platt, who's also a voice actress, recently published a book called Voice Over Voice Actor, What It's Like Behind the Mic. That is uh, correct. Which, from everything that I've read about it, is like the book on voice acting. Excellent. That's That's good for me to hear. I mean, you know, we... We wrote it from the, you know, from the standpoint of, hey, you know, this is what we've done and it's worked for us and a lot of people have asked about it and we wanted it to be fun to read and we wanted it to have pictures. I don't, I don't like books without pictures, so we made sure there were pictures in there too. <laughs> and it, uh, it comes with the CD as well, I believe? You can buy it with the CD or you can buy them separately. Um, and the, the CD is full of uh, warm-ups and things you can do to strengthen your voice and, and warm it up and you know, everything from, from tongue, tongue twisters to breathing exercises. Now, can I buy this book on tape? with you reading it to me. <laughs> Not yet. You know, it, it, that seems sort of like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying. I, I worked in a place called yeah. uh, Narns and Bobles. <laughs> we had a pretty a wide selection, and I would see pretty cool voice actors like James Earl Jones reading the Bible. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I think Patrick Stewart, too. Like Reading the Bible? Yeah, yeah. Wow. They read it to each other. Yeah. <laughs> one was God, one was Satan. Yeah. <laughs> right. We'll let you decide which which is which. <laughs> Darth Vader's Satan is all uh, I'm <laughs> No, the, the one, uh, one of the reasons we haven't gone ahead with a book-on-tape version of that, or, or for, for those of you, uh, those, the young'uns out there who don't know what tapes are, audiobooks, <laughs> the, the book is full of anecdotes from, from other people, like other voice actors and, and directors and uh, casting people and agents. Uh, because we wanted it not just to be us talking to people, but you know a lot of different other people in the industry to so get a bunch of different views. And it's they have these anecdotes in there, and it's it, it feels weird for us to do their voices when they're also act, voice actor friends of ours. But it's been really hard to coordinate everybody to come in just to record their little anecdote. I'm I'm sure it'll it'll happen eventually. I I personally think that uh, that you recording parodies of their voices sounds actually like a selling point. <laughs> <laughs> to showcase oh my god, I think you just I think you just hit on something brilliant. Uh, <laughs> wow, we could all Tara, Tara could do all the, the girl voices and I would do all the, the boy voices. Wow. And yeah. I'll have to listen to your show so I know what uh, Vic sounds like. <laughs> I know, know what Vic sounds like. Just not on our show. They're working on the difference. So. <laughs> That's true. It would be different. Yuri, among the things that you're best known for as a voice actor, being the Prince of Persia more times than anyone else that I know of. You are the penultimate uh. Prince of Persia. When they didn't bring you back for the second game, I was quite miffed. And then when they brought you back for the third, it was the second coming of the Prince of Persia. <laughs> yes! And thank you for that, actually, because it's it's you guys that that brought back because that you know, the second game came out and everybody said where's Yuri and they thought oh maybe we should put him in the third one uh, so that was that was all all you guys <laughs> oh it, and no problem you Tony Tony accepts full responsibility <laughs> I do for, for getting he was happy to do it yeah he did he did it all by himself he started the no Yuri no Prince of Persia <laughs> campaign and then he created like hundreds of fake signatures. And <laughs> Uh, you do a lot of video game work, actually. In fact, you're one of the, uh, among the the artists that we're interviewing for this episode. You have maybe the most diverse repertoire of, of I guess, percentage-wise, anyway, of doing anime dubs and original recordings, and then also uh, work for video games. Uh, it's a pretty yeah. widespread. How how did you manage to get that scope? I mean, we were talking to uh, Vic Mignola, and he was talking about how you know he's in many ways trapped in dubs, 
and he loves when he can get outside of that, yeah. but it doesn't happen often. Yeah, it's a you know it's a tough jump. You know, I guess all I can say is you got to you got to keep swinging at it and uh, going out there and meeting people who are involved in the, you know, in the other kinds of things, and, and hope that eventually you know the stars line up. For me, I don't, I don't believe totally in luck. I believe in you know just just you know preparing the fuck out of everything, and so that when when you get that opportunity, you can jump at it. And you know, I, nobody could have told me that learning to speak Japanese and spending time in Japan would be that thing for me. But while it's helped on dubs, I also it also got me my first big original animated. It was just you know like a little spot on on Teen Titans on the on the Teen Titans movie Trouble in Tokyo. And a friend of mine who's a producer who had worked on a lot of dubs had been asked by Warner Brothers to find Japanese speaking actors. And so she called me because she knew that. And I went in, and it ended up being the only white guy in in the in, in the recording group. But it, it took me over to Warner Brothers. It was the first time I got to work with Andrea Romano. Who you know is the, the most genius uh, director out there. You'll know her from directing all of everything that that Warner Brothers has ever done that's been good. <laughs> uh, and she's just she's just amazing. And and that was the first time I got to meet her. I don't know when I would have gotten to otherwise. I'm sure it would have been eventually, but it might not have been until later. So it was just the fact that that I you know I spoke Japanese and you know my friend was working on the thing. But I mean there are plenty of opportunities out there. You just gotta. Just gotta trust that, that they'll come up and be ready for them. Perhaps the thing you're uh, credited with most across the board is additional voices. And yes. I mean, I think that's probably true for for a lot of people. But I, I was I was looking at all that and I was wondering what what is the role of preparing additional voices like, and how much fun do you get to have <laughs> with additional voices, or is it just like really you know cut and dry kind of rudimentary work? I bet it's exactly like the, those Bugs Bunny cartoons where he's like ripping off the mobster and it's like, and me boss, and me boss, and me boss, and me boss. <laughs> it, it sort of, it can be, it absolutely can be. It is oftentimes just ridiculous fun because it allows you, usually you get to play a lot of different types of characters that you normally wouldn't get to play. I, I got to, I worked on a video game the other day and I, and I, I can't tell you what it was because they'll, they'll flay the skin from my bones mm. and I'll never work again. But with Square Enix. Oh, come on. I've been with Square Enix. Uh, sorry. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you, the, the character I played, Drunken Villager. And I had more fun playing Drunken Villager than, than just than almost anything I can think of recently. And, and you, get to, yeah, you get to really experiment with, with things that you wouldn't normally play. Especially if it's a it's a game where you're already playing sort of a, a bigger character and you've done that and you've done that and you've done that and you get to do some you know goofy side character. <laughs> Great, Addition, additional voices is the is the day job of the of the voice actor in a way. You can't you can't always get the lead man, but you, you still want to keep working and that's yeah. That, it beats digging ditches. Can we hear what the drunken villager sounds like? Is that is that possible? Oh wow, that's a that's a, I'm trying to think if that would uh, I guess technically that doesn't. <laughs> break any sort of rules because I can't. I'm not telling you. Drunken villager from that particular game. He could be drunken villager from. But what, what if he's what if he's such a good drunken villager that he's like I'm drunk and we go Gears of War three. <laughs> <laughs> so so that I don't get it. Let's see. Let me pull up something to read so that I don't lapse back into lines that might uh, <laughs> that might lead to you guys guessing what it is. Good idea. Uh, Look at this guy. He's got a brain on him. Our plan has been foiled. <laughs> <laughs> All, all that shows you is that I've gotten in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a little intro thing that I, I wrote, I think, for my high school reunion this last year. 
so they, wanted, they wanted everybody to write a little blurb saying, you know, what you've been up to. So this will um, be an accurate representation of what it sounded like when you actually delivered the speech. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it, I, I wrote it because I couldn't be there, unfortunately. But yeah, trust me, I, I, I would have barely been able to open my Let's see. All right, so they said it had to be 500 words. That starts out. 500 words, huh? Well, in short. I've pretty much done everything I can not to grow up since high school. I did get married almost eight years ago, but my wife, Tara, is pretty much on the same page. And we're locked in Vegas. It can be done. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, you know, I get it. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the director, she, you know, I, I would do a couple of takes, and she said, you know, I'm, I'm starting to feel drunk just listening to you. <laughs> I guess there's no better praise. <laughs> I think I would have done a bit of method acting for that one. <laughs> there, there, there's room for that. <laughs> I noticed when I was looking over your list of work that a lot of them said uncredited. Like, do they tell you straight up, you're not going to be credited for this, or how does that work? Sometimes. It, it happens on a lot of, on a lot of Japanese games. I don't know exactly what the, the, the process is. But then usually what happens is, uh, you know, fans will listen to it and go, oh, I know who that is. And then they'll put that, you know, they'll put our names into the IMDb or, you know, <laughs> Chris Lasseter or whatever, you know, the, uh, you know, all the Wikipedia and so on. So you guys are a lot smarter than, <laughs> than, than the rest of the system. <laughs> I'm never worried about that. Yuri, how do you go about directing a voice? What's your method for that? It, de it depends on the it depends on the voice it depends on the kind of project some projects they'll give you know they can show you like the video game they can show you gameplay and they pull up all these character designs and they they have these character histories and the the producer sits down with you and talks it through and sometimes they just go he's this elf dude okay here's your script you know and and there's there's not much to to go on so sometimes you know I like to have as much as possible because you know it obviously helps create you know different distinct characters even when they don't give us that stuff it 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 just starts to define itself as we go yeah I just usually start with a base I use my imagination a lot if the writing's good you know that helps it's not always the case but definitely if the writing is good it's less work for me to have to do to you know just try to figure something out but yeah it depends it depends on the project clearly if you know if it's an animated movie or animated TV show they have Clearly, the reason that you know we're in the room is because they liked something from our edition, something resonated with them, mm -hmm. as opposed to you know the other people who had read. Might not have been better, but you know was maybe more right for the character. So, so then from there, the uh, the director you know has talked to the producer, and, and then the director starts working with the actors. And if we're doing it for the first time, it can take a little trial and error. It's usually fun. Since you work in such a broad spectrum of, of voice work, I was hoping you could tell us the chief differences between all of them, particularly the difference between, if there is one, between recording for video games and recording for uh, just traditional voice work. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we start with sort of, I mean, you, you can break it down, or we'll, for our purposes, we'll, break, we'll go video games, animation, and dub animation. You know, dub animation and original animation. If, if you're lucky, you get, you know, with original animation, you get a room full of actors all at the same time. And there's no, you know, there's no lip flaps to match or anything. You go over the script and then you, and then it's, it's almost like doing a play. You know, it's like reading a play and then if they want to get something again, we'll, we'll read it again. Or if they, you know, if somebody screws up, we can go back and, and, and pick it up and we keep doing, you know, keep doing it until it's right. But the, the great thing about that and the, the big difference is you really get to create the character from the ground up because they're going to then animate from your voice. And you get to 
to play with other actors, which I always think turns out better performances because you get to react off of what's going on. And then, of course, with the dub, it's just you in a room. Uh, you may not have any of the performances of any of the actors who have uh, worked on it, who have already recorded their part of the dub. Just got the original track, which you listen to, and try to you know get the right emotion and uh, sort of the right context. And then it's a lot of timing and rhythm and, and practice uh, because if the writer's done you know their job as best as they can do the dialogue that they've adapted from the original language is is pretty close if not very close but then again it was them you know trying to figure out what it would be for their which is which might be different than the way you would say it yeah so then you just try to massage place with the director but it could take it could take several tries how do you manage to act and avoid like that like i mean how do you how do you work out in your head doing something like dramatic like a love scene but having absolutely no one there to work with or work against I've I've got a fucking insane imagination, and that and that is something you know that is that is tried to, I mean you know the the world at large, um, the education system and everything you know tries to beat it out of you when you're a kid. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, it is it it will be the the greatest tool in your arsenal when it comes to doing work like this because you do have to create all that in your head, and also not being, you can't be self conscious in the booth. You can't. If you're gonna look like a jackass. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. You're, you're talk, talking to yourself. You're punching things that aren't there. You're. You know. You're. You're making your body into what you think the character would would be like to help create that voice. You're gargling water. Whatever it is, you can't worry about how stupid you look because you do. You look stupid. But it's it's a combination of of those things and then you know some basic mic technique. But at the heart of it, it's still still good old fashioned acting. You know, I, I hate it when when uh, when I'm talking to somebody and they're like. Wow, you do a lot of voice acting. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then they say, do you ever do you ever do any real acting? And I just want to, <laughs> uh, you know, the parents. And I know what they mean. They're not trying to, you know, be insulting, but they mean, you know, on camera acting or theater acting or or whatever. And and at the heart of it, it's it's all the same, but but different. You know, you have to you have to sort of stretch different muscles. Yeah. And then to get back to so that so that's then with dub and original animation and with uh, video games, it's. I've only ever very, very rarely, I can, I can count them on my two hands, recorded a video game session with other actors in the room. It's just technically more difficult. And so it's usually, once again, just like Dub, it's just you in a room. More often than not, you won't have seen the script. Actually, in most of the jobs we do, you don't get the script ahead of time, which is counterintuitive, but that's, that's the way it works. Especially in video games, things change so fast, and the timeline is so weird that sometimes they, they only have the scripts ready you know, the day before. So you show up, give you the script. Oftentimes, it's just a, an Excel spreadsheet with all your lines on it. And then you just, because there's so much dialogue that they have to get through, you just say, say you know, one line three times, maybe three different levels of volume. Or, and if, if they've got it, you move on. And then the next one, and then the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and you run down the page. And they only stop you if there's you know, either a technical problem or you, you didn't have enough context to you know, to, to sell it the way they wanted to, or, you know, there's some sort of, they want to take it again. I, I like having the other dialogue that's around my line, because then I know what I'm reacting to. And they've gotten, I'd say uh, video game production has gotten better about that. So they um, usually just let but, throw you in blind to a line? Yeah, they, I mean, sometimes what they'll do is they'll have a list of, for a lot of these World War II games, they say, okay, this is, you know, this is going to be you reacting to, you know, an enemy soldier coming around the corner. And then there's ten lines, you know, uh, which they could be, you know, he's right there! Get him! It's the enemy! Fire! You know, all... And so they sort of say, you know, this is sort of what gets triggered 
if that happens, and these are all the possible responses. So you, they do give you a little context there, but, but sometimes you're, you're flying blind, and that's, that's when it really comes, comes to the director to let you know when you need more context so that you can, you know, you can turn in a performance that actually makes sense in a game. Unheard of. These things <laughs> yeah, make so, sense in so the context of the different arenas. <laughs> Let's see, we got one from Michael Gerson. This is a question from one of our listeners. Is Square Enix really as disorganized as they say? <laughs> <laughs> they always seem organized when they come into, you know, when they come into to record stuff. Uh, I, I'm, you know, clearly I'm only, actors are only involved in one really small portion of you know, the creation of the game. Yeah. They come and, you know, they, we record our voices and then they go off and do all the hard work. So they may be disorganized back in the office, but they always put on a good face when we're recording. And they're really good about giving context too, because because those Persona games and you know a lot of the them are are fucking weird. The Japanese are weird to start with, and that's one of the reasons I fell in love with Japan and the culture. But man, you need some context. Although sometimes even when they give you context, you're like, really? I still don't understand what's going on. And they're like, just we'll let you we'll let you know if it, if it comes out right. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, he also wants to know how much of your work ends up on the cutting room floor. With dubs, the only thing that ends up on the cutting room floor are, you know, funny ad-libs or uh, profane ad-libs that, <laughs> that come out for recording because they're not, they're not allowed to let those out. But but that that's a very sort of regimented, you know, we need these lines exactly, so we get those lines. And usually because, you know, with video games, it's, it's, it's amorphous, it's constantly changing. You know, they'll they'll realize you know, two months into production of a video game that they need to do a whole other chapter of this thing and they bring you back in and they have to, you know, do more lines. Or they realize something's not working and they, they cut everything you recorded for that, you know, for that mission or that segment or whatever. And with the original animation, you know, the scripts are pretty locked because it's not just voiceover they have to worry about. They have to worry about all the storyboarding and, you know, the, the, all of that in the animation. And so I would say not a lot. I mean, certainly the goofing off that goes on in in the booth uh, gets left on the cutting room floor. Sometimes, unfortunately, but sometimes it's very fortunate <laughs> that, uh, that nobody ever hears that stuff. Okay. Let me just say that you're not this. You don't seem the type to goof off. You seem a very professional, <laughs> serious person. I don't know why you would have anything. Abs- absolutely. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm not as, I'm not as funny as some guys. Like, like you get Nolan North in the booth, and for, oh. forget about, forget about even getting the work done, man. He's just the stuff he comes up with is funnier. And you just cannot stop that guy. Some people are really, some people are really good at that. I'm medium good at that. <laughs> I would say I'm more, I'm more sort of okay. Let's get this done, you know, uh, kind of guy than, uh, than than the goof off guy. But I don't fall somewhere in between, I guess. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I, I had a good time. I, I'll, I'll come back. For cool. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Back, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Yuri. Have a good night. Oh, you're welcome. That was oh. Prince of Persia. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> I'm happy that could I, pl- play. I, I played the game. Here's a little game we need all you guys to play as a community. We need to, like, you know, in the in the months to come, you need to play the game of identify what fucking game Drunken Villager's from. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's Animal Crossing. Like, one of those... It's... If if they add voice acting, like legitimate voice acting... In... <laughs> That's him. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, man. The Drunken One. Tortimer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
think he's going to be Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. Mm-hmm. I'll just put my two cents oh, why don't we there. ever do? Why don't we ever do uh, Animal Crossing episodes where we just burp, 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 and all the music we play is KK Slider. Oh yes, please. Well, we've got our next April Fools episode ready. There's a whole KK Slider mixtape that was made. No, we should subject like maybe like Brandon because he's not in the room. Like, he comes in, and he doesn't know it's an Animal Crossing episode, right? And he sits down, and then we all take these paper plates out with string on them that have Animal Crossing animal faces on them. We put them over our face, right? And then Brandon's like, what the fuck's going on? And then I, and I'm like, and I hand him a wallpaper. And he's just like, what the fuck do I do? And then, and then Cappy goes, I didn't like the letter he sent. Me, <laughs> vulgar language. As a nerdy show listener, I approve. Uh, so we should do that. Do that to Brandon. All right. So no, okay. never know. Hey, guys. Listen. Yeah, yeah. He, he's not gonna listen. So here's the deal. If we do this, don't mention this on the forums. Yeah. This is our little secret. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about it afterwards. And then blow it up. I'll make fun of it. Brandon can be the human, and we're all the animals. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm implying. It's a bit of a stretch for Brandon, but it's okay. <laughs> So, to take us out, we have Guilty Gear X, a remix from that video game with Alpha Blade by Beat Drop.
to Captain Morgan. Ground control to Captain Morgan. We checked your liver and it's one unsightly organ. Ground control Nine. to Captain Morgan. Fourteen. Mount McKinley. Commence sobriety test on you One. again. LXP. W. Count from ten and keep your Nine. finger on your nose. Blast it.
what you just heard was wasted space oddity drunken astron by power salad power salad i don't know anything about it hex didn't give me notes use but your imagination well you won't have to because you just listen i to mean it. you did just listen to it but i hope you were using your imagination to figure out why we listened to it and hey guys i'm sorry I, you blame hex Send him emails. It's hex at nerdyshow.com. Be like, dude, you didn't respond to text messages. You, you didn't give him notes. Did you text him? I know you left him a message, but no one has time to check their message. I did. I did text him. Okay. I did text him. But hey, that's cool. We're soldiering on. We're playing. I know the music's good. I just don't know why we're listening to it. Just gotta say that. <laughs> and you know, you've already heard hex in this episode. He's coming and going. The guy's like the wind. Ah, Nerdapalooza man. Yeah, the wind is a gale force hurricane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nine feet tall and hairy. Yeah, yeah, it's that, it's that winter spell. What is it? Wrath uh, uh, of winter? Yeah, Wrath of winter! Anyway, that, that's what he does. Something that doesn't get talked about too much when it comes to voice acting is uh, voice acting for live action. Uh, I mean, you, you know that puppeteers do voices, but, you know, if when, when the topic of voice actor comes up, you don't usually think of the guy who does Elmo. Or Frank Oz, who does both Miss Piggy and Yoda. Yeah. Outstandingly talented voice actors, but they don't get clumped into the field because they do that, that extra thing with their hands. Masturbating? Out of their dick. Yeah, when their dick's talking, <laughs> your penis talks to you, you don't do, you don't do that? Wait a second, Miss Piggy is, is Yoda? You didn't yes. know that? Yeah. What? And Fozzie Bear. I hate this show. Now you're fucking with me. No, dude, that is... <laughs> no, no. Brandon is being 100% legitimate in his, uh, in his confusion. Uh, I didn't know Miss Piggy was Yoda, but it makes sense now. <laughs> But it makes sense. That no, no. Kermit the Frog. No words. Kermit the Frog is not gay. How do you know? He's got a hand up his ass no, all the time. No, he loves Miss Piggy. Miss Piggy is not a man. Miss Piggy is a beautiful woman. Have you ever seen under her skirt? Yes, yeah, she is. She just can't talk. Actually, so she yes. has hired Frank Oz to do her voice for her. <laughs> I'll show you some pictures, Brandon, if you want to see what's under Miss Piggy's skirt. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so puppeteers, massively talented voice actors. I, I highly recommend if you haven't ever seen it, like Guided Elmo, anything with Frank Oz, looking things up on on YouTube with the puppeteers, like doing doing their work with the camera down a little bit lower so you can see their faces. There's also voice work for you know for live action. Like lots of times, certain creatures get dubbed. Lots of times, talented actors get dubbed by other talented actors. Uh, for example, the recent Hitchhiker's Guide movie, Warwick Davis played Marvin the Android, and he was dubbed by uh, Snape from the Harry Potter. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. No, just, just regular Snape. You know, sometimes it, sometimes it doesn't always go down that way. I mean, we know Anthony Daniels was inside of C-3PO and also, you know, voiced him in a separate recording session because you sure shit couldn't hear him coming out of that... <laughs> <laughs> and looks like, uh-huh. <laughs> I saw him a few weeks ago at, at uh, Hollywood Studios for Star Wars Weekend. He was under an umbrella because I guess he couldn't take our burning hot Florida sun. No, he needs balmy British gardens <laughs> with a light rain. And a very charming smile, though. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we saw him at Star Wars Celebration. He spoke about Star Tours and everything. And then now the big unveiling. I haven't seen it yet. But, so good. Uh, cool, cool. <laughs> Do you guys have any instances that, uh, that you... You're aware of of like live action voice acting work where something you know the, the two yeah, things did not match. Yeah, Rumble up. in the Bronx. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it. What, what are you? What are you oh about? yeah, Jackie Chan. <laughs> Jackie oh, Chan. Oh, Jackie that Chan. Rumble in the or Bronx. who am I? Yeah. Who am I? And he's doing his own. He's dubbing his own voice to his already own voice in a different language. It's weird. I don't like it when he's dubbed by other people. I'd rather just hear his the, broken English than hear other yes. people dub over him in proper English. It's hilarious. Correct. <laughs> Well, that's why Drunken Master, or the sequel to Drunken Master, is so much better than the original, because in the original, it, you can only find it dubbed, and it's some jackass doing Jackie's voice, whereas yeah. in the sequel, it's Jackie doing his Jackie's voice. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Is the sequel the one that was released in theaters here, like, in the yes. late 90s? Man, that's so good. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Who voiced Jackie Chan in the Jackie Chan cartoon? That was not Jackie Chan. I know. That was me. That was Brian Clevenger. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. <clears throat> Ah, Jack Chan. Ha cha. That was him like doing a karate kick. <laughs> oh, I. That is what he says in the show. Ha cha. <laughs> yeah. Well, otherwise, you wouldn't know when to animate the kick. <laughs> That's also his catchphrase. <laughs> I'm Jackie Chan. Ha cha. <laughs> Wait, was that Brian or was that you, Brandon? That was. We have Jackie Chan on the line. <laughs> Hello. He's having a very bad day. You're both so talented. My goodness. <laughs> Whatever are we to do? There's two Jackie Chans here. <laughs> Hi, Jackie. Hello, Jackie. It's nice to meet me. <laughs> you both sound like retards. <laughs> this is fucking my mind. <laughs> are either of these voices actually Jackie Chan or is it just random? Oh, Brian? Jackie Chan! A bird. <laughs> no, that was clearly Cap. <laughs> Cap, you're terrible. That's just, that's no, 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 Sound like there are three Jackie Chan's. It's actually one uh, guy doing all of off, Michael. <laughs> Shut up! It's 2009. <laughs> Put a ring on it. <laughs> oh my God, where is this going? I don't know. How can we end this show? This episode was brought to you not just by the number three, but by listeners of Nerdy Show, as I mentioned before, Byron McIsaac and Mr. Awesome Ross Butler. We couldn't do this without you guys. We uh, currently have a donation drive of some kind running right now. It's probably the D&D donation drive, which will let you create a gaming scenario for us and allow you to guest voice on an episode. You know, we're donation funded. We really, really appreciate all the money you guys have put into this episode and the episode following this. The winner is Dix. And thanks to everybody who voted on that. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot. (laughs) It's actually Brian's favorite topic. Oh, sure. He loves it. It's his favorite thing. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> taking us out of part one of voice acting is Corneria by the Super Ted. Good luck. Never knew never. What? Came in here. No problems.
Christopher Lambert. I want to thank you for listening to this week's episode of Nerdy Show. Nerdy Show is brought to you by a comic shop, Nerdapalooza, and the Oviedo branch of Play and Trade. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to send them to info at nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show podcasts via the iTunes store. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Nerdy Show or friend us on Facebook. <laughs> if you enjoyed what you heard, support Nerdy Show by telling a friend, or better yet, giving you money by visiting the Nerdy Show and picking up a t-shirt, donate directly to the Nerdy Show for cool, nerdy perks. These guys know how to fight the soldiers of Outworld. They didn't ask you to come back to do Mortal Kombat 2. I'm not quite sure why. I would have done it for free. I don't know why they asked James Remar to play Raiden in Mortal Kombat 2 Annihilation. Hey, I stole your car from the party. Get over it. Peanuts and the vagina. Did I say peanuts? <laughs> yes, you did say peanuts. Charlie <laughs> Brown fucking your vagina. Your, your complimentary peanuts or vagina. You get them on the airplane. Um, oh, man. I don't want to be a flight attendant anymore. <laughs> Fly your first yeah. class, guys. <laughs>